Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, Senior Pastor at Maysville Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Our desire is to build the kingdom of God. We do this by loving God, loving others, studying the Bible, and serving the world. Now, get ready. Here's this week's message from the Word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Just singing that song, that is a great song. I was thinking, man, the religious, the religious couldn't catch him. The cross couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold on to him, and the grave couldn't keep him. I'm telling you what, he's alive, he's risen, and we serve a risen Savior. To God be the glory. Thank you for that song, Phil. Man, that was good. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter number 11 is where we're going to be today. Palm Sunday, the narrative, the story. We're going to look at Mark's account, Mark's gospel, chapter number 11. While you're finding your place there, did you hear the story uh, about the uh, fitness center owner? There was a fitness center owner. Uh, he had a contest. In this contest, you could win $10,000. It was a simple contest. The owner would take a lemon, he would slice the lemon in half, he would squeeze all the juice out of that lemon, and he would hand it to a challenger, and if anybody could squeeze just one more drop of juice out of that sliced lemon, they'd win $10,000. They came from all around, all around, to try to beat this guy. Man, there were lumberjacks that come in and tried. They failed. There were pro wrestlers that came to town. They failed. There were weightlifters that come to town. They failed. There were boxers that come to town. They failed. Nobody could beat this guy. And he went several weeks without anybody claiming the prize. Then one day, there was this little frail little man walked in the fitness center. He was a little bitty old guy. Didn't have a stitch of muscle on him. Kind of bent over a little bit. And he walked in. He said... I want to take that challenge. The crowd inside the fitness center said, Man, you've lost your mind. Look at you. You really think that you can do any good with this? He said, I want to take the challenge. They called the owner. The owner come out, sized the man up and said, Are you sure you want to try this, sir? He said, Yes, sir. I'm sure I want to try it. They took a lemon, sliced it in half. The owner grabbed that lemon and squeezed And man, juice come out of that lemon just like uh, water out of a tap. I mean, he just, ah, and he got it all out. He took that old shriveled up uh, lemon, he handed it to the guy, and he said, All right, buddy, your turn. That man wrapped his little frail hands around it, squeezed that lemon, and as he did, six more drops came out of that lemon. The crowd was shocked. Oh, they couldn't believe it. The owner of the fitness center said, Who in the world are you? Are you a lumberjack? Man said, No. He said, Are you a weightlifter? Man said, No said, are you one of them boxers? No. The man said, then tell me, what in the world do you do? He put his hands in his pocket and he said, well, sir, I work for the IRS. <laughs> well, it's tax season, amen. But more important than tax season, it is Jesus is alive season. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 11, verse number 1. If you found your place in your Bibles, if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word today. Notice what the Scripture says. The Bible says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. 
And as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereupon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied uh, by the door without in a place where two ways meet. And they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing this colt? And they said unto him, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And as many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, they strewed them in the way. And they that went before him, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the king of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. You may be seated this morning for prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, the best that I know how, once again, I yield myself to you, only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. God, would you encourage the saints. Lord, would you challenge each and every person that's in here. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior and Lord, today would be the day the scales fall from their eyes. And Lord, that they realize that they need you more than anything. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that it's a day we've set aside to think about the triumphal entry of Jesus. We love you, and we thank you that you loved us. And be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard that old adage, uh, uh, I can tell by your actions greater than I can hear your words? I mean, as you think about that, it's uh, very easy to see that the day in which we live in, actions truly do speak louder than words. Maybe you had a parent, like I had a parent, and that parent had the look. How many of you had parents that had the look? All right, everybody knows what I'm talking about then. In fact, you're a parent here, you've got the look. Man, I'm going to tell you what, my mom and dad, my mom in particular, she had three types of looks. She would look at me one time, and I knew that I was in trouble with her, Abe. She could look at me a totally different way, and I knew I was in trouble with my dad. And then she looked at me a third way, and I could tell you I was in trouble with her and my dad. That meant a two-spanking day. And so the fact of the matter is, I learned to read my mother. Her actions, her words, or her, not her words, her actions spoke louder than her words. In this particular passage of Scripture, it is known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus is going to do something with his actions that are going to speak very, very loud, considering that he said very few words. This morning, I want you to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ from Mark's perspective, and I want you to see, as Mark has shared with us his story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, from his perspective, what Jesus was doing. Jesus, in fact, was doing two things in this passage of Scripture that I don't want you to miss. Number one, the first thing I want you to see at what Jesus was doing is he was revealing his identity. Jesus, excuse me, was revealing his identity. Uh, we find that at this particular time, on this particular occasion, it is no accident that Jesus is walking down Bethany Way into Jerusalem. 
If you'll recall, just by way of context, it hadn't been but just a few weeks ago, before this passage of Scripture uh, was, was written, or before this passage of Scripture uh, is read, just a couple of uh, chapters back, Jesus heals Lazarus at Bethany. Lazarus was dead for four days. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He came out. They undid him. You better believe the people around Bethany knew who Jesus was. Here's a man that can raise people from the dead. He may very well be the Messiah, the one by which we are looking for. And as the popularity of Jesus Christ spread, it was again just a couple of verses above this passage that we see Jesus healing blind Barnabas. And so word was spreading all through this area of Bethpage and Bethany that Jesus Christ is in town. It's also spreading, the news is spreading, that He is coming to Jerusalem. Now we know in the 21st century why Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. He was coming to die. Jesus was on His way to Calvary to die for the sins of the world. But we know that also in this day that those individuals that were talking about Jesus, they were wanting a military leader. They were wanting someone to come and set them free from Roman occupation. And there was no greater time to set the people of God free from Roman occupation than the day of Passover. Passover was a day in which was celebrated for centuries uh, on end in the past. And they were celebrating it to this day as well. Jesus is making His way to into Jerusalem for Passover. But one thing that we know for sure, that the Passover by which He is taken, He is taken to do away with religion so that you and I could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we find that as He reveals His identity, Mark gives us some very interesting things about His narrative. It is worthy to note that we're about six days away from Passover at this particular juncture. We know that Jesus had stayed with uh, some of his friends there in Bethany. As he's making his way down into Bethpage and Bethany there, and he's making his way to uh, Jerusalem. It is fair to say that behind Jesus are all of the sermons that he preached. But ahead of him is his suffering. Behind him is his parables. Ahead of him is his passion. Behind him were the suppers of fellowship. Ahead of him were his suppers of betrayal. Behind him were the delights of Galilee. But in front of him is dark Gethsemane. Jesus is on his way to die for our sins. Mark says in this particular occasion that there are three things in particular that Jesus was doing as he marches into Jerusalem. What are they? Number one, let me give them to you. The first thing I want you to see what Jesus was doing is he was declaring... His position. Jesus was declaring His position. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning. I hope you brought your pens and notepads. I hope you're able to take notes in this wonderful Palm Sunday. Verse 1 says, And when they came to Jerusalem, or came close to Jerusalem, unto Bethpage in Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, He sendeth forth two of His disciples, and saith unto them, Go on your way into the village over against you, and as you soon, as soon as you get entered into there, you'll find a colt tied, whereupon never a man is sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any men say unto you, Why do you do this? Say that, you, that the Lord has need of him, and straightway he'll let that thing go. Now we know that Jesus wasn't going to keep the animal. He was going to send it back. We find that in the other Gospels. The other Gospels also say that the uh, donkey, the mother of that little colt, came with that donkey that day. 
Uh, we clearly understand that uh, that's not important to Mark because Mark is writing to a Gentile audience. He's wanting the Gentiles to understand this. It meant more to the Jews to understand the prophecies in greater detail, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But this act that Jesus is about to do is going to show His position. He is coming into Jerusalem as the King. He's coming into Jerusalem as the King. And what's fascinating is that He's coming to bring peace. And the peace by which He's going to bring is not the peace between Rome and Israel, but the peace between you and I and God. That's the peace that Jesus is bringing. So where do you see that, uh, preacher? Well, notice if you would here, according to this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that He came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. It's very important to understand that riding that colt that has never been tamed, that is, nobody's ever sat upon it, that is in following and is in clear uh, acceptance of the Old Testament guidelines for an animal that's used for a sacred use. Jesus is sitting on that animal coming into Jerusalem for a sacred, a, a very important religious event. That religious event is He is the Son, the, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the one that is going to die for our sins. He is coming into Jerusalem riding that donkey. Now, from the Jewish perspective, when the Jews saw Jesus riding that donkey and coming down, they clearly understood that Jesus was coming as the King. He's coming as the King. So how, how, do, you, how do you figure that? Well... Riding that donkey is like Jesus Christ riding in a, in a Rolls Royce. It's like him riding in an, in an Aston Martin. So where do you get that? Well, in Bible days, that donkey represented nobility and majesty and royalty. And majesty and royalty was riding in that day. And a donkey was also an animal that communicated peace. Jesus was riding the donkey as king, communicating royalty, nobility, and that he was bringing peace. Had Jesus would have brought war, he'd have rode a war horse. But he didn't ride a war horse. Why? Because he wasn't coming to wage war against Rome. He was coming to set people free from their sins. He was coming to settle the war that was already going on between religion and God. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and He's coming declaring His position that He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Number two, not only do we see He's declaring His position, but we also see He's fulfilling the prophecies. He's fulfilling the prophecies. You see, notice verse number two before I get into this. The Bible says, And He said unto them, Go your way over into a village over against you, and as you soon be entered into it, you'll find a colt there's going to be tied, whereupon never men sat. And then he goes on and he tells us that he came riding, if you would, into the city of Jerusalem on this colt. This is a fulfillment of a very important prophecy that everybody would have known as Jesus came into Jerusalem on Bethany Way. Now you've got to remember that the road that Jesus is on as he's entering into Jerusalem is filled full of tents, it's filled full of little shacks, little sheds, uh, little tiny houses that are mobile that you can tear down and build back up. It's filled full of those things. As a matter of fact, historians tell us there's 2.5 million people in Jerusalem during this time. And everybody knows that Jesus is on His way. 
They know that he's coming from Bethany, a location by which he raised somebody, Lazarus, from the dead. He's given blind sight. He's caused people that are deaf to hear. He's healed lame people. I'm telling you what, Jesus has done miracle after miracle after miracle and people are talking about him. They're saying he's coming. He's coming to Jerusalem. And when they look up and they see that he's coming on a donkey and he's coming down, their minds immediately go to Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9, the Bible says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon a donkey, and upon the colt, the foal of a donkey. We find here that a thousand years before Christ, God established a covenant with David, and declaring that the descendants of David would list, would rule forever. But in 586 B.C., David's offspring, Zedekiah, was taken captive. And in that captivity, God's people waited and waited and waited. Around 500 B.C., the prophet uh, Zechariah gave a message of hope to his hurting people. He said, your king is coming. He is going to come. He's going to be riding on a donkey. He's going to be bringing salvation with him. You will recognize him as being the king. And you'll recognize him because he'll be on the foal of a donkey. He'll be on a colt and he's coming. And for over 500 years, the Jewish people waited. Oh, they had a glimmer of hope about 50 years before this event occurred. You see, about 50 years before this event occurred, that's when Simon Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem. Jerusalem just had a major victory. The Jewish people just uh, uh, alliterated an enemy of Jerusalem. And Simon uh, Maccabeus was the one. And the people of Israel on this particular uh, Passover day looked up, and lo and behold, Zacharias, or excuse me, uh, if you will, Simon Maccabeus come riding into Jerusalem on what? A donkey, on a foal, on a little bitty colt. And as they're coming, the people thought, oh, wait a minute, this is it. This is it. This is it. He's coming. Here he comes. Here he comes. He's Simon. But they were disappointed. It was not Simon. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the uh, first uh, book of Maccabees uh, writes from a historical perspective that Simon entered into the city in the 3 and 20th day of the 7th month in the, one, in the 170th of the first year, he rode in with thanksgiving and palm branches and palm trees with harps and cymbals and, and violas and hymns and songs because there was destroyed a great enemy in Israel. There's only one problem. He didn't do anything else. In fact, he died. And they were like, the Jewish people were like, well, that's a letdown. I mean, we really thought this was it. Well, let's check him off the list. Simon's not the one. And they clicked him off. Fifty years later, here comes Jesus down Bethany Way. But something's different. Something's different about this one. This one hasn't defeated enemies upon enemies. This one has defeated death. He's raised people from the dead. This one has defeated diseases. He's healed people of their diseases. This individual in particular is doing some amazing things in relationship to healing the nation from a peaceful perspective. He's different, but I'm going to tell you what else is different. 
It's also different because he's fulfilling another prophecy that was spoken of by Daniel. Uh, we can't look at it today for sake of time, but let me encourage you to go back and read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. Because Daniel says, now watch this, don't miss this. Daniel made a prophecy and said that the Messiah is going to come, and he got real specific to it. He said this, Daniel said, I'm going to tell you exactly when he's going to come. He said, Messiah is going to come 173,880 days from right now. That's what he said. That's what Daniel said. And did you know, watch this now, when you look at the history of Jesus, Jesus went to Bethany six days before Passover, the John chapter 12, verse 1, and he entered into Jerusalem on the next day, which would be April the 6th. That is precisely... 173,880 days from when Daniel said he was coming in. Those individuals that knew their Bible knew that this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the one that's coming. This is the one that's coming to set us free. And they began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. Save us now. Save us now. Save us now. Now remember, save now meant save us from the Roman occupation. Jesus is coming. He says, oh, I'm going to save you all right. I'm going to save you from occupation, but not Roman occupation. I'm going to save you and set you free from the sin that's in each of your lives. So we find here that he fulfilled Daniel chapter 9. He fulfilled the prophecy. And then number three, he's receiving his praise. He is receiving his praise. Remember, Jesus is revealing his identity. And he's going to receive praise that he has not yet to receive. There were a lot of people that wanted to give him praise and wanted to worship him, but he did not allow for it until this occasion. This is the, the occasion in which Jesus said, Yes, I'm going to receive the praise. These people are right. I am the Messiah. I am the King. I am who you say I am. I am the I am. I'm the one and only, the one that's going to set you free. He received the praise that he got from the people. And the people threw these branches down. They threw their coats down. They threw their garments down. They threw everything down saying, Save us now. Save us now. Save us now. And Jesus was going to give them exactly what they were asking for. He was going to give them salvation. Not from Rome, but from their sins. And the Bible says all those that recognize this, whosoever will, can be saved. For it was these very ones that were saying, Hosanna, 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 would be the very ones that say, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Jesus, on this particular occasion, on this day, as He rode into Jerusalem six days before Passover, He was re revealing His identity. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King. Number two, let me show you a second thing very quickly and I'm going to close. The second thing I want you to notice is Jesus also was revealing his intent. He was revealing his intent. Not only did he reveal who he was, his identity, he also reveals why he came, the intent. Notice what he says in verse number 11. He says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now was even time was come, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now don't, don't miss it, because you look at that and you go, wow, interesting. What does it mean? <laughs> Notice what Jesus did. The words in the Bible are so vitally important because it communicates a 
a message, a wordless message. Jesus is not speaking a word. He is acting, He's doing something that's very important for us to understand in Scripture. And that is the intent on why He came. Number one, watch this. He came in, Jesus first of all, went into the temple to show the importance of worship. He went into the temple to show the importance of worship. I want you to think about this just for a minute. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? Let's, let, let's take a quiz. I'll ask a question and you answer. Are we ready? Pop quiz today. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? God. God wrote it, remember? God wrote the Ten Commandments. Everybody say, remember God wrote the Ten Commandments? Say amen right there. All right, we we'll be on the same page. God wrote the Ten Commandments. Number two, who established the temple? God did. Did God not establish the temple? Did God not establish the tabernacle? Yeah, God did that. Number three, question number three. Who called worship for worship on the Sabbath day? God did. So let me ask you this final question. Is worship important to God? Very important to God. So important that Jesus' very first act when he gets into Jerusalem on that donkey as king, coming in peace, is he gets off the donkey and he walks into the temple saying, Worship is very, very, very important. Worship is important because what we're doing here today is not a religious activity. This, you hear me say this, I'll say, we did not come for some ecclesiastical duty. Ecclesi, ecclesiastical or ecclesiastes is relationship to the church. We're not here for just some church activity. That's what they were doing in the Old Testament. We're here to worship God. And worship is a relationship, not a religion. So Jesus came into the temple, and he walked into the temple to show that worship is vitally important. Number two, I want you to see the second thing he did. The Bible says that he looked around upon all things. I would underline that because that is such an aggressive verb he's using here because what, what we're seeing here is that Jesus looked around to see the iniquity of the worshipers. He looked around and saw the sin of the worshipers. What do, you, what do you mean, preacher? He walked in that temple, and he walked in the temple. Who did he see? He saw the priest, and he saw how they were acting, and he noted that the, the fact that they were not acting like they should. Remember, he, 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 what's he going to do in the, the next day? He's going to come back to the temple, and he's going to drive them out, Remember? He is upset with their attitudes. He's upset with their actions. He sees the scribes and the Pharisees. He sees the priest. He is not happy with worship in the temple. He sees their sin. What were their sin? Well, Jesus looks at the altar. He sees the altar. And he goes and he turns around and he looks at the sacrifice. That word look there means to investigate with serious intent and then to look at your own heart. Jesus looks with intent and investigates every element, every element of the temple that day. And he looks and he sees the altar, he sees the priest, he knows their hearts, he sees their attitude, he's not happy with it. He looks over and there are all those animals in cages. He sees the weights. He sees the money changers. He sees the money changers aren't accurate. He sees that they're paying more for the, 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 uh, the sacrifices than they ought to be paying for. He is very, very upset, and he doesn't say a word. He investigates, and he says, this is not good. He sees the iniquity in their hearts. 
And then look what happens. He went out to implement his death. Look at the passage, verse 11. The Bible says here in the text, He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. When evening time came, says, the sun's going down. He's going out. He turns around. He, get the picture here. He walks in. Looks around. Thinks about it in his heart. And then he walks out. He walked out so angry. He had to sleep on it. I'm telling the truth. Because look what happened the next day. Notice what the scripture says here. Follow with me. The Bible says, and now the morrow. That's an Old Testament way of saying tomorrow. Morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily that he might find fruit thereon. But he came to it, and he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat no man eat fruit of thee hitherto the end. And his disciples heard it. Now, Jesus, to make matters worse, not only was he upset, he curses the fig tree and says, you're not even going to bear fruit anymore. Now, why, why did he curse that fruit tree? What was the temple supposed to be doing? The temple was supposed to be producing fruit. So he slept on it, got up the next morning, there's a fig tree, it ain't producing any fruit. He thinks about the church, or he thinks about the temple, he says, that's not providing any fruit either. You're not going to bear any more fruit, and the temple ain't either. And the Bible says he walked into the temple, and he turned over the money changers. He said, no more! walked out and as he walked out and those money changers can you imagine money changers all over uh, the place the money all over the place opening the gates and letting those animals out uh, driving those people out with whips man when he I'm gonna tell you what when he came in uh, church got real that day I'm telling you what there was it was not the same he came and he showed up and things were different when he walked out, you can hear the priest now. Clean up this mess. Get the tables back up. Get them back together. Passover's coming. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and the priests in the temple are putting things back as normal. Let me tell you this. Watch this. Jesus is tired of you being just like everyday normal. He wants you to come to him, and he wants to radically clean out your life. Get all that stuff back up, the priest says. Man, look at that. He, he, he done let that, those dirt doves done flew all the way up. And, that, and look at what they've done to the Holy of Holies curtain. Man, they've messed it all up. Somebody get the curtain down and go take it to the dry cleaners. Bless God, before it comes up, uh, uh, Passover. Get that thing taken care of. Oh, I can see them now taking it down. I can see them cleaning, getting all the mess off of it from the animals, rounding up all the animals, putting everything back in its place so they can have the temple just as usual. And the whole time, Jesus is there praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's having uh, the Lord's Supper. He's finding that final supper with his, with his disciples. He is headed towards the cross. They arrest him and everything's fine in the temple he, they arrest Jesus and they take Jesus before a pilot and they try him and they 
they uh, beat him and they pluck out his beard and they pull out his hair. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They take him to Golgotha, the way of the cross, and they put him in a tomb and uh, they put him on a, on a cross and there he dies for our sins. And at the very moment when they got the temple all cleaned up, Jesus is on the cross. The ground begins to tremble. And as the ground begins to tremble, Jesus cries from the cross, I thirst! And those seven words from the cross as Jesus speaks each one of them, I can see Jesus as he looks over. And he tells the thieves on that day, today you'll be with me in paradise. John, take care of my mama. And then he looks up with one final breath. He says, it is finished. And he died. And as the darkness flew over the city that day, back in the temple as the ground was trembling, from the top of that veil to the very bottom, it ripped into providing a way for you and I to get into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because he's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. Hebrews says he's a greater high priest. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my God. He is righteous and holy. And thank God he's risen. He went out to implement his death. Why? Because that's the only way you and I can get to heaven. Here's the problem today. A lot like the Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees, we've taken this, all this, and we've made it religion. Dear friend, you, you can participate in every sacrament any religion has and still go to hell. You can go through every confirmation class that your religion offers and still go to hell. You can be baptized in every creek and baptismal pool between here and Slippery Rock and still die and go to hell. One way God said to get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. And if you're going to come to Jesus, you've got to come by the way of the cross. You don't sign up for church attendance and go to heaven. You don't be thankful that your mama and daddy was the founding members of Maysville Baptist Church and go to heaven. The only way to get to heaven is to come by the way of the cross. When Jesus came down Bethany Way that day, he was going to the cross. And he says, I don't want your worship to be religious. I want your worship to be in a relationship. Let me ask you a question today. Look at your own life. Look at your own uh, religious state. Do you have a relationship with Jesus or are you just religious? You can be a church member and go to hell. You can be a Sunday school member and go to you. You can be a deacon and go to hell. Bless God, you can be a staff member on a church and go to hell. Have you ever had a time in your life 
where you come into relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Have you ever let Jesus turn over the money changers in your heart so that you could have a relationship with Him? Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. Then, dear friend, from your heart to God's heart, why don't you cry out to God right now, just right where you're sitting. You want to be saved. You, want, you don't want religion anymore. You want a relationship with Jesus. If that's your heart, if that's your heart's desire, then you've got to surrender, friend. You've got to quit playing games. You've got to stop the religious mess and come to the relationship of the Messiah. Right where you're at today, from your heart to God's heart, why don't you cry out to the Lord and say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. This morning, I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. In Jesus' name.